0: We are recognizing our confirmands in the second service, but you have in the bulletin a list of who they are, their names, their parents, their life verses, uh, provided to you as for the rest of our community to acknowledge them um, and to pray for them. Maybe it's something you can tuck away and take home and just to continue to pray for them as they are going to take the step of renewing their baptismal promises, promises made by their family. Um, they are now going to make for themselves before us as a community. And the names on the sheet of paper that you have there Are students from our church community, but also students from our school. Uh, We have some students on this list who are not members of Grace. Grace is not their home church, but through our connection through the school, wanted to confirm their faith, and so are a part of this as well. And the sermon this morning is targeted at them, but by no means is it exclusively for them, because Confirmation Sunday, while it's a special occasion for students, who are, again, professing their faith publicly, renewing their baptismal vows, it's an opportunity for us as a church to remember our own confirmation as we experienced it if we grew up in the Lutheran church or perhaps another denomination where that was a rite of passage. And if we've never experienced confirmation, it's a chance for us to engage that today, to confirm our faith in Christ. And the reading that I chose for the students and that I chose for us is from, again, 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's a New Testament letter, as you know, the first one that we have of record that's from the disciple Jesus called Peter. And the truth is, the first and second letters that we have from Peter are really less like letters and more like sermons. They're more like a collection of teachings. He, he wrote these words, both of these letters, he wrote these words to Christians who are risking their lives for believing in Jesus, who in declaring that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar, They were facing daily persecution and eventual death. It's important to remember as we hear part of one of Peter's letters that he was writing to the first Christians, the pioneers of what it means to follow Christ and to be the Church. They were a community way back then with little power or influence. They were, in the eyes of Roman society, a ragtag bunch of misfits. People from different classes, different walks of life, who didn't belong together. Who, in choosing to be together, threatened the status quo. Peter wrote words like the ones we're about to read to strengthen and encourage those who were seeking to live out what they believed about Jesus and his kingdom in a world that was often antagonistic to them and increasingly hostile to the God they worshipped. Times haven't changed much. Hear the words from 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting with verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What Peter offers us here through these images is a concise summary of what it means to be a Christian. In other words, he tells us exactly what we're confirming when we publicly affirm our faith in Christ. In choosing to follow Jesus with our lives, We are embracing, according to Peter, a specific understanding of who we are, to whom we belong, and what God expects of us. So who are we? We are, as Peter so eloquently puts it, living stones. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's own people. Do you notice something about each of these images? They're all plural. It's not one stone or one person or one priest. There there are images, all of them, of connectedness and community. It's surprising we seem to keep coming back to this theme when we celebrated Pentecost, when we celebrated Trinity Sunday. Here we are again celebrating Confirmation Sunday and we're back to this theme that the first thing that we need to confirm about our faith is that it is not individual. It is not what I believe as much as it is what we believe. Ours is a shared faith that is centuries old and goes generations back. We may, as we often like to say in the Protestant church, and especially in the Lutheran church, we may be saved by faith alone. But we do not live out this faith on our own. This is important again for us to hear and I know it's been a theme that you've heard the last two weeks and it's the scripture keeps bringing it out for us. But again it's, it's timely for us because we live in a world as we've talked about where we celebrate. This. One of the things we lift up culturally, we celebrate the idea of the rugged individual hero. Many of us grew up with the Lone Ranger. Many of us grew up with different heroes that were individual rugged heroes. The man with no name who takes law and justice into his own hands. We idolize, many of us, tough men and women who seem to handle any situation on their own. They're always self-sufficient. Deep down, secretly, for those of us who lift such people up, we say, I want to be just like them. But that's not how God made us. The Christian faith is about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but it is also about our relationship with each other. You can't separate the two. (laughs) Our faith is a uniquely personal matter. Many people often say that when I ask, when I want to have conversations about, what do you believe? And they'll say, well, it's a uniquely personal matter. It's personal for me. And I, I get that. Our faith is uniquely personal. But it's never private. We confess our faith together. Our faith is the faith, the faith of the church. Because God created us to be in deep, intimate, and loving relationship with him. But he created us to be in this kind of relationship with him by creating us to be in a caring, sharing, and loving relationship with one another. This is why, when Jesus was pressed as to what was the greatest commandment, his answer, have you ever noticed when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus gives an answer that seems like he's given a twofer, doesn't he? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's one verse but then jesus goes and adds another he's like sneaking a second answer in there and love your neighbor as yourself if you go scripturally i mean if someone if someone had it memorized because they weren't they weren't carrying it around necessarily then they would go um, um you just quoted deuteronomy and you tagged on a little davidic leviticus there at the end so which is it jesus doesn't think he's giving us a twofer Jesus believes he's giving us a single answer. What Jesus does is he takes two separate scripture verses and he fuses them into one new commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. The entire law can be summarized by this. We, beloved, are made to rely on each other, to trust each other, to support one another. We're made to lean on one another, to bless and be blessed by one another, God calls us together as the body of Christ, as ordinary, differently able, diversely gifted, not without our faults, men, women, children, and youth to share with others what God has done for us and for the world in Jesus Christ. Now as we hear Peter use words and images like spiritual house and spiritual sacrifices, we may start to realize as we look around that we're not here alone, that he's talking about exactly what we're doing right now. We've come to this place to worship. Friends and family have maybe greeted us this morning. We've taken our place in a comfy pew. Maybe we've even grabbed a donut and coffee already. But being the church gathered as God's people for worship is about more than spending time with friends. It's about more than grabbing a donut, having some coffee, or sitting in a pew We are to be a part, Peter says, of God's house. And the house of God that he points us to, this image, is more than walls and a roof. God's house, that is where God chooses to live, is in the hearts of people everywhere. This is what we have celebrated Pentecost. It's a spiritual house made of spiritual people. And that means you and me. We are the building blocks God uses, or as Peter describes us, we are the living stones being built into a spiritual house. I don't think it's coincidence. I think it's irony, subtlety, so many other things. I don't think it's coincidence that Peter is the one to refer to us as living stones. Because remember, when Jesus first met Simon, he changed his name. He changed his name to Peter, and that name meant the rock. Jesus saw something in Peter. Something in Peter that Peter had yet to discover about himself. And as we read about Peter in the Gospels, we can see how appropriate Jesus' naming of Peter was. He was a rock. Sometimes he was truly as dense as a rock. Sometimes he was a stumbling stone. And other times, he was the sure foundation for the new community Jesus was building. We can easily see... Peter, much more mature in his faith, further on in his journey of faith with Christ, in writing to encourage the earliest of Christians, that he had a double meaning. He intended for them to understand a little bit of a personal touch when he wrote to them and said, You are living stones. It's a wonderful picture of who we are. God looked at each of us, each one of us. God looked at each of us, a stone, a diamond in the rough, on the ground and he took us into his hands. From the very beginning, he had a place in mind for us. From the very beginning, you and I were intended to be part of his house. But our story is we got lost along the way. Our story is the challenges and chaos of this life perhaps found us dumped by the side of the road, just another stone on the rock pile. But this God carried us back. This God prepared the place where we would fit And included us in the house where he lives. Who are we? Together we are the house of God, a place where every stone fits. And every stone fits because of the stone after which they take their shape. To whom do we belong? Peter tells us we are formed by a special stone, the living stone. The one who was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. The rejection that Peter refers to here, as we all know, is the rejection of Jesus. The rejection that Jesus faced during his life that ultimately led to his suffering and death. Not everyone saw how precious the stone of Christ was. Instead of being treasured in the hearts of the people, the inestimable value of Jesus' life was missed by most, and he was tossed aside like a pebble who was put on a cross to die but the stone that the builders rejected as the prophets foretold the stone that the builders rejected as Peter declares became the cornerstone it became he became the cornerstone when the tomb was found empty ironically when the lesser stone that was protecting death was rolled away by the bedrock of resurrection to whom do we belong beloved We belong to the first living stone, the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. That, in a word, in a sentence, is the message of Easter Sunday. But Peter is reminding the first Christians of this reality, and he's reminding us because unfortunately, the reality of Easter is celebrated, acknowledged by many, but lived out by very few Lots of people say that Jesus is the cornerstone of their lives. But when push comes to shove, Jesus doesn't fit the houses that we want to build. To, to them, as we want to build our lives our way, his shape is all wrong. It's not worth copying. It's not the way that we want to follow. And as I'm going to say to our confirmands, but it's not just for them, it's for us every day of our lives. If we forget, if we've missed it, it doesn't take long that we find out we're confronted with a world that has other shapes in mind. Other shapes in mind for how we live our life and build our houses. People around us test us all the time to think differently about what we've learned from God's word. We are exposed every day more and more by other materials and other designs for constructing our lives. And we are so often more often than I dare even count, tempted to build on another foundation. It can be so easy. It can be so easy. So easy to stop coming to church. In a moment of of frankness, of bluntness, the pews around us, some of them are empty, and some of them have gone to other churches, but some have left, and you know who they are, and if the argument is that they're not here because they no longer feel comfortable at grace, then where are they? Many of the people that I encounter who no longer are here aren't going anywhere. It's too easy to stop coming and being a part of the church. It's so easy to just go through the motions during communion. One of the greatest hazards of doing this every week is that we can just walk up and not even think about what we are doing, what we are receiving. We can get so fixated on other things that we miss what we are celebrating. And that's why it is somewhat of a a risk for us to celebrate the sacrament every week. It can be so easy to have a Bible, more than one, more than two, more than three, to have a Bible but never read it. It can be so easy to pray a prayer every now and then, but never really listen for God's voice. It can be so easy for different styles and cheaper building costs to tempt us to question the truth of Jesus and his way. And it can be all too easy to have history repeat itself which is what Peter is alluding to here, where we reject the living stone. But Jesus warned us. Jesus warned us, didn't he, to be careful about how and upon what we build. All of our castles built apart from him, however majestic, however sweeping, however impressive to those around us, will not survive the storms of this life, the judgment of eternity. Apart from Jesus, when it all comes crashing down, we will find ourselves with hands full of sand. Grains of sand. Peter wants us to know that's not who we are. That's not who God made us to be. That's not the purpose that God has for you or for any of us here today. And you may not be a middle schooler who's about to confirm their faith, but I find adults who are still in the same place asking the same question that many middle schoolers are. You may be here, you may get yourself here, you may have been a part of the body of Christ for years, and yet you may still be sitting here not considering yourself to be precious or impressive. You may be sitting here just feeling like you're squeaking by, that you're, you may feel insignificant, you may just think you're another stone among many, and you're just ready to blend in with the rock pile you may not feel as though anyone would pick you up from the ground, much less use you for a special purpose. It's a repeated theme for me as I preach from the Word of God because it screams from the Word of God to me that none of us, none of you, no one here is just another stone on the rock pile. If you know, if we know to whom we belong We don't need to ponder our reason for existence. We don't need to squeak by or just kind of fit in. We don't need to fear our insignificance or question our purpose because if we understand that we are significant in God's eyes, we understand that we have a purpose in this life. We have meaning because of our connection to Christ. He is the cornerstone that supports us and keeps us standing. For those of us who are familiar with construction, we know that the cornerstone is more than just a fancy stone that has a date or a special phrase on it. The cornerstone is the most important stone of the whole building. Its lines have to be perfect, otherwise the whole building is off-kilter, imbalanced, not grounded properly, not stable or secure. You see, every other stone used in the building gets its lines and its shape from the cornerstone. If the cornerstone is perfect, then the whole house will be perfect too. Jesus is that perfect cornerstone. He lived, as we profess, a perfect life. A life we cannot live on our own. No one is perfect, but Jesus is perfect. The perfection of his life was completed through the willing sacrifice of his life in love for us on the cross. The vindication of just how perfect his life is comes from death's inability To keep Jesus in the grave. His life is perfect. His life is eternal. He is the cornerstone upon which a new creation is built. And because of this, we are living stones. We have come to life. We are not just another stone on the rock pile. We are a stone with a purpose. Though the world, much of the world may struggle with its feelings of self worth. And if we could be honest for a moment, we could boil down to all the problems of the world of individuals who are struggling to know who they are, to believe that they matter and have significance. You can take the greatest and the smallest of problems, and it fundamentally comes down to an insecurity of ego, an inability to know who one is and where one fits and where one belongs, and therefore taking that out, that frustration, that confusion, that pain on the world. But if we know who we are in Christ, if we get our shape from the cornerstone, then our worth comes from God. And he is the firm foundation upon which we can build our lives. We as living stones, Peter tells us, get our shape from the first living stone. No matter what shape, size, color, or texture we had before, God has chosen us to be built into his house. He takes us to Jesus And is using his perfection to make our lines perfect. Have you ever seen your life like that? If you look at your life and you struggle with your life, what you see in the mirror, understand, as Peter describes it, you are being taken all every day of your life that you've come to faith in Christ to the living stone and he is making our lines perfect. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, his Holy Spirit, he is chiseling off the rough edges. He's making the corners a perfect 90 degrees And each and every day of our lives, he's continuing to grind and to polish and to buff until we become, one day, the jewels in his crown that we were always intended to be, that we always hoped to become. So if you sit here today, and again, you just are just mixing in with the rest of the pile, if you're here today and you think you have no significance, the image I want you to have of God this morning is God is the ultimate rock collector choosing to put you on display for others, for others to see through your acts of worship, through the living of your life to the glory of God. I want you to see God today as the ultimate stonemason, taking you from where you were in order to craft you into something more precious and lasting. Think of God this morning as the ultimate craftsman, joining you with the other stones that are around you and building his house through you, through me, through us, a place of prayer, a sanctuary for the weak, a refuge for the weary, a beacon of hope for the nations. Now we hear this, many of us, and this gives us some encouragement, I hope. I hope this gives us some inspiration, but I also know that what this strikes a chord in us is a sense of restlessness and frustration. I know many of us get frustrated with how slowly this building project seems to be coming. Many have left the church. Many are not here because they're tired of watching a work in progress. And beloved, can we admit that sometimes that's our fault? Sometimes can we admit that that's our fault because we have a tendency to advertise something we are not? We say that we're a place to get saved. We say that we're a place where everything is wonderful, where everyone looks good, sounds good, does good, is good. We try so hard. But even inside the church, the truth is we're not comfortable being a work in progress. We don't like change. We like our rough edges. Please don't smooth them. That's painful. We don't like change. We avoid conflict. We lose sight of the big picture as we stress at times and as we argue sometimes about budgets, buildings, and programs. By the way, come to the congregational meeting after the second service. But Peter's word here gives us much needed perspective. We are the living stones. We are not the builder. We don't have the full perspective on what God is doing at Grace. We don't have the full perspective on what God's doing in the larger world with his church. Because we are not the builder. We are the living stones. What we can see, what we do understand, is that you can always tell that a new building is being constructed by the massive scaffolding that encircles the new building as it rises from the ground. We've all seen that, and in many senses, that's part of our frustration. We see a lot of scaffolding, but not a lot of building. As long as you see the scaffolding, you know the building isn't finished. The scaffolding is the last thing to go. But when it's removed, you know the building is finished. Every local church, grace, reformation, hope, those beyond the Lutheran fold, every local church is part of the visible scaffolding, if you will, around the invisible temple that God has been building for the last 2,000 years. When the final living stone has been placed in the temple, the scaffolding will come tumbling down, the trumpet will sound, the archangel will shout, and then we will get to see the grand work that God has been doing for the last 20 centuries. And I promise you, I promise you it will be glorious. I promise you it will be beautiful. I promise you it will be worth it. I promise you because God promises us. He knows what he's doing. And until then, we are just called, as Peter is calling us, to be a part of what he is doing, of what God is building in this world right here and right now. Ever since our baptism, ever since your baptism, you have been a valuable piece to this house that we call the church. Like I said, you may think your part to play in this congregation alone is small and insignificant. No matter what your age and ability, though, whether you're on the other side of 15 or whether you're on the other side of 80, your age and an ability, an ability is not affected does not affect the important part you have to play. God has chosen each one of us for a purpose. What does God expect of us? That's the last thing that Peter gives us here. What does God expect of us? Peter says that those of us who are being built into God's house are being built to be a holy, a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Latin word for priest is pontifex. And that word pontifex for priest means bridge builder. In a world as divided as ours, it's a particularly needed role that we serve, that we function in as the church. There are enough people out there, enough people out there drawing lines in the sand and daring others to cross. God has called us to be, the work that God has called us to do is to be priests. Not drawing lines of separation, but drawing circles that include and draw others into God's building project. Beloved, we need to hear this because as the church, too often instead of being living stones being built into the house of God, we have chosen to throw stones at those who don't see the world as we do. And yet Peter says we are called to be priests, living stones that build a bridge for the lost, the least, and the forgotten to cross over. We are the bearers of the light of Christ to a world in which all the power has gone out. Too many people are out there living in fear cowering in the darkness, and our calling, Peter declares, is to bring the light of Jesus to them. Remember that Peter is writing this to a community that itself potentially is living in fear, that feels as though the darkness is about to overtake them. And Peter's response is, shine brighter. Continue to shine. And we shine when we speak and teach about this God we love. We shine when we offer healing and hope to those who are hurting. We shine when we advocate, when we stand up, when we use our voice for the justice of the poor and the needy. We shine when we model. We don't just talk about it. We actually model forgiveness and reconciliation when there is brokenness around us. We shine when we worship, when our voices are lifted in song, When we're not just mouthing the words, but we're singing together. When we interpret scripture, when scripture is the lens by which we figure out how we get along, how we're called to do what we do, how we engage this world. We shine when we pray for others. When we gather like days like tomorrow and say, you know what? I could be somewhere else, but I'm here because prayer is the lifeblood of what we do as the people of God. We will shine, those of us who are gathered tomorrow to pray. We shine when we continually demonstrate through what we say and what we do what it means to love God and one another. Beloved, that's our identity. That's our work. It's given to each of us, to each one of us, but it's done by all of us. So today, today as you think about the students who will be standing here in about an hour, as you think about these teenagers who have their whole lives in front of them and yet they're going to stand before the world, before this community and announce that they live their lives for God. As you think on them and pray for them, I hope, I invite you to reaffirm your faith with them. Together with them, let us realize that we're not just ordinary stones. We're stones that have been brought to life, stones that have been given a significant purpose. We are the living stones of God's rescue effort, his salvation project, his kingdom here on earth. Let us with them hold on to one another as we build our lives together on no other foundation than Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Let us with them not grow weary or jaded, but together stand firm with them in the place where God has put us. Let us continue with them to provide support to those who come after us. Let us trust with them that one by one, as one stone after another comes to life, the house of the Lord is taking shape. The kingdom of God is being built. And let us with them, out of such trust, walk with them by faith. Let us with them be priests, sharing the hope of Jesus with those around us, showering the community that surrounds us with grace and radiating the love of Christ toward all whom we meet out in the world. Let us with them this day never forget or forsake who we are, to whom we belong, and what God expects of us. The words of Peter, for we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that we might declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Amen? Amen.